What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of B-Shafe Daily. My name is Brendan Schaefer, alongside here with you on Wednesday, April 7th, as we're breaking down a series sweep for the St. Louis Cardinals over the Miami Marlins over the early days of this week down in South Florida. The Cardinals finish up the first road trip of the 2021 season in pretty impressive fashion. Listen, they didn't always do it exactly how they drew it up. But the Cardinals somehow, some way, come out of Miami with three consecutive wins, big wins over the Marlins down at Lone Depot Park, which is now the new name of Marlins Park. I don't know if we're going to use that. I don't know if you guys saw this over Twitter, social media the last couple of weeks, but basically whatever company this is, Lone Depot, has decided that the P in Park of Lone Depot Park is not capitalized. And I said kind of fooey to that. I don't know that I would... uh, If I ever were going to write the uh, business name associated with the name of the park, I don't know if I would do it in the uh, grammatical way that they would request. Like, when you have Bush Stadium, I get that Bush is technically a brand, but it's Bush Stadium. Like, it's it's a classic name of a ballpark. Nothing weird or funky about it. When you go doing, you know, Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, technically these are brands, but they've been synonymous with those parks for so long that it kind of feels like home when you talk about baseball park and the name of them. Lone Depot Park, I think you're trying a little bit too hard. But that's a story for another day. Let's talk, though, about the Cardinals getting down to business and coming away with another win on Wednesday. They had their ace, Jack Flaherty, on the mound. In this game, ultimately, the score ends up as the biggest blowout of the series as the Cardinals took this one 7-0. But it wasn't that way throughout the early innings of this contest. Like, Game 1, 4-1, the Cardinals won. Game 2 of this series, they won 4-2. Those were two hard-fought games. You had to claw, you had to scrap, you had to fight if you were the St. Louis Cardinals to win those contests. This was the same thing. I know the final score ends up being 7-zip. But you look at the box score for the first six innings, this was a pitcher's duel, man. Pablo Lopez had it going on for the Miami Marlins throughout the majority of his start. Then he gets into the seventh, and that's when the Cardinals were able to get to him. But for six innings, both guys were throwing up goose eggs for the Marlins and for the Cardinals. And when it comes to the Cardinals' side of things, it didn't look like Jack Flaherty was actually going to be able to go as deep as he did. He ends up getting through six innings in this game. And he only gives up one hit. So you're saying, what was the issue? Why was there such a... Was pitch count really that big of a consideration when a guy only gives up one hit? It was, and it's kind of hard to describe specifically why that was the case. Walks were obviously an issue for Jack Flaherty as he ends up walking four in this game across six innings. And he gets six strikeouts. So the strikeout total is not eye-popping, but he gets one per inning and ends up on a a pretty decent pace as far as that is concerned. But early in this game, Jack Flaherty just could not figure out a way to put guys away quickly. Part of that is obviously reflected in the walks total, having walked four in the game. But really, just for the first four innings, honestly, it was just deep count after deep count for Jack Flaherty, not able to put guys away early. And I thought, you know, of all the games talking about watching the television broadcast. I thought Jim Edmonds on the color commentary had a really fine game from a commentary standpoint. Some of the things that he was pointing out, 
not just about Yadier Molina, which is something that Mike Schilt really wanted to touch on last night when he was able to guide John Gant and company through that game when the Cardinals won 4-2 on Tuesday night. Some of the work that Yadier did in that game, pretty impressive to the Cardinals manager. But today, on Wednesday, it was Jim Edmonds kind of pointing out some of these elements that Yadier's taking advantage of and taking care of, kind of posi- whether it's positioning the defense or just kind of orchestrating the flow of a game. I thought Edmonds was pretty impressive today. Obviously, as a former player, he's got a lot of insight that us average Joes are not going to have access to or intel of because we don't have that that wealth of experience to draw from. So I really appreciated some of, if you guys watched the game today on Wednesday, you kind of probably know what I'm talking about on Bally Sports Midwest. Just wanted to give Edmonds a shout-out because I thought he did a really fine job today describing some of the action that was going on. And part of what he was detailing was related to Jack Flaherty, and it was some things that I was seeing, and I said, you know, I think he's spot on with this. Because early in that game, Jack Flaherty threw several sliders. It had to be at least a handful that, honestly, I was watching them, and I thought, eh, th- those really are not competitive pitches. It's sliders in the dirt, off the plate, not something that you would figure a batter is going to swing at. Even a guy who can sometimes take the bait on a slider, it just wasn't competitive enough for that to be the case in those instances, at least in the early innings of the start for Flaherty on Wednesday. And Edmonds kind of talked about it on the broadcast where he said, look, I think Jack has a good enough fastball where he doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to be, you know, trying to toy with guys with this the, the, the breaking pitch, especially if it's going to be non-competitive. Throw your fastball for strikes early in counts. Put him away then with the off-speed stuff, the breaking stuff, later in the at-bats. And I thought, you know, there might be a little bit something to that. And as Jack went along, I think he started pounding strikes a little bit more, went to the fastball, maybe a little bit more early in counts. He was throwing some breaking stuff and some off-speed stuff as well for strikes early in counts as he went along. But early on in that game, it just the feel wasn't either the feel wasn't there. He was getting squeezed a little bit by the umpire. I noticed sometimes Pablo Lopez, Marlins pitching, was getting some calls on the corners that Jack didn't always get the benefit of, and so I feel like. Maybe he was nibbling a little bit, but at the same time, his stuff was pretty electric. Like, there was movement to everything Jack Flaherty was doing on Wednesday, and so I don't want to minimize, you know, the the, the stuff that he had on the mound. I made a comment on Twitter that it wasn't necessarily his A-plus stuff, but I would say maybe a better way to have phrased that would have been it wasn't A-plus execution of some of his stuff early in that start. But what impressed me about Jack, first of all, is that he was able to keep it together, right? He While walking four and then just giving up the one hit. So he had some base runners that, that were scattered throughout that start, obviously. But he wasn't giving anything up. He pitched around the danger. He was able to keep the Marlins off the scoreboard during a time where the Cardinals' offense was legitimately struggling early in this game. They, it just did not seem like they were going to get a whole lot off of Pablo Lopez. And at one point, I said, is it surprising to anybody else that the Cardinals have actually out-hit the Marlins in this game at this point? When I made the comment on Twitter, it was two hits for the Cardinals, one hit for the Marlins. So it wasn't like any sort of grand blowout. But no runs had been scored, and it just seemed like Jack Flaherty was, whether it was a little bit of traffic each inning on the base paths, or it was just the fact that he was having to grind through every at-bat to earn every out that he was able to come up with. It just seemed like he was having to work a whole lot harder than Lopez 
where in the in the sixth, seventh inning, Lopez is still in the eighties in the pitch count, and you're just thinking, man, how far is this guy gonna go? Cardinals ultimately got to him offensively, but I want to wrap up the conversation on Flaherty before we get into how the Cardinals offense and the lineup was able to turn things over a little bit, get things going, and come up with this victory late in the game because they may not have had the opportunity to do so if it weren't for Jack Flaherty and the way he finished the outing on Wednesday. This was really key because he finished that fourth inning, I believe it was right on the nose at 80 pitches when Flaherty got through inning number four. And again, it was still a little bit of a grind. You've seen Daniel Postillion, John Gant in the last couple of days not be able to get particularly deep into their starts, using a lot of pitches per inning. Gant ends up pitching about four innings yesterday, I believe it was. Ponce, I think, was around five, maybe five and change. Both guys end up only giving up a run, and I don't even think Gantz was earned. But nevertheless, these are guys who have not necessarily been able to pitch as deep as they would have liked into these games. That's put some strain on the Cardinals' bullpen. The last two days, the bullpen came through. Cardinals were able to win those games. They got good outings from the guys in the relief core. In the last couple of days, it was Giovanni Gallegos, Alex Reyes, really carrying the load, combining to pitch like five and a third innings, six and a third innings, something to that effect, with like six strikeouts, no runs allowed. Those guys, though, had gone on back-to-back dates. So if you're Jack Flaherty coming into the start, at this point in the season, I think it would be, you know, you could argue that Reyes, Gallegos, that's kind of your 1A and your 1B out of the bullpen. You've got other arms. You've got a lot of talent out there. But based on, I think, if you're a Cardinals fan, if you're the Cardinals pitching staff, coaching staff, manager, whomever, that's kind of the group that you're feeling the most confident in coming into a given game. If you've got guys available, you want Geo to pitch, you want Reyes to pitch, and if those guys can traverse, whether it's seven, eight, nine, or just eight and nine, or a combination thereof, I think you're feeling pretty confident. But obviously, both of those guys were going to be unavailable today on Wednesday because they had pitched consecutive days, done so really well. But this was going to be kind of the test, especially if Flaherty wasn't able to get deeper into this game of, okay, who in this bullpen are you going to rely upon that maybe you haven't had to on this level to the point in the season that we're at? But what ends up happening, Jack Flaherty coming out of the fourth at 80 pitches ends up getting through the next two innings Facing the minimum, just six batters total, one, two, three inning in the fifth, one, two, three inning in the sixth. Ends up really closing out his day on a really positive note. 21 total pitches. I believe it was something like 14 and seven in the fifth and sixth, respectively. So he's able to, at this point in the season, Jack Flaherty is a horse. You know he can throw 100 pitches. Forget the COVID stuff from last year. Forget everything that you remember about the Cardinals being careful with him, being cautious with him. At some point, he's done spring training. He's gotten through a start early in the season where he threw 90-some-odd pitches, and now he's coming into this next one looking to prove something in a little better environment, by the way. It wasn't Cincinnati where it's 30 degrees and snowing out. He's in Miami. I don't know whether the roof was closed or open, but the the circumstances were obviously going to be more favorable for Jack in this game than they were in the first start of the season they made on opening day. So he gets through it, 101 total pitches. That's not any number that you're uncomfortable with if you're the Cardinals uh, management talking about trying to protect Jack Flaherty. You feel good about it, especially the way he finished. Mike Schild always talks about, did a guy get better as he went along? 
And I was having some technical difficulties tonight during the Zoom, so I didn't get to hear uh, the bulk of what Mike Schilt had to say after the game. But when I go back and listen, if they end up posting it to the uh, the media website, I imagine what I'm going to hear is talk about Jack Flaherty and the fact that he did get better as he went along, which was a huge key for the Cardinals tonight. Because once again, through six, they weren't scoring. Nobody was. Jack Flaherty saw into that on the Cardinals' side with regard to the pitching. But then you had to come up with, all right, these last few innings, we're looking for the sweep still for the St. Louis Cardinals. How can we go and attack this game the rest of the way figure out a way to get it done well as so often is the case who comes to the rescue but Yadier Molina been doing it for 18 years wouldn't surprise anybody if he went ahead and did it for 18 more but it was in the top of the seventh inning in a situation that honestly just didn't look like it had any potential to it you get your three four five guys up in the lineup Arnado strikes out Paul DeYoung lines out and now you've got two outs your five-hitter, Matt Carpenter, up to the plate. Again, with two away, he's not been a guy that's been much of a threat to hit a solo shot. And so at that point in time, I think a lot of Cardinals fans might have been turning the page to the next inning and saying, oh boy, this isn't going to, you know. I think people were preemptively ready to kind of break out their pitchforks once again with regard to Matt Carpenter batting fifth, which, look, I make some snar- some snarky comments on Twitter about it kind of at the expense of Cardinals fans who are saying, what's you know what's wrong with this guy? He's not the player that Mike Schultz thinks he is anymore. What's going on here? Why is he batting in this spot in the order? But I saw things from Matt Carpenter yesterday where I said, look, I'm going to give the guy a chance. I understand that right field has been a black hole for the Cardinals to this point in the season. And so because they saw some good contact, I believe Matt Carpenter on Tuesday had the hardest hit ball of the game and a lot of you are thinking your ears glaze over, your eyes glaze over, you don't want to hear it. I get it. But Carpenter had a decent enough plate approach, I think, on Tuesday to merit another opportunity on Wednesday. Mike Schilt talking about he liked the matchup still with Matt Carpenter. And so in this game, Matt Carpenter does not end up with a hit once again, and that was a reason uh, to get kind of the people fired up. But in the seventh inning, he takes a walk. And look, at this point, that may be the only thing Matt Carpenter does all season is strike out, fly out, or take a walk. Those might be his his his, his version of the three true outcomes. Uh, you know, you conceivably he'll eventually get a hit. But in this case, with what we saw on Wednesday, it was a walk. And a two-out walk at that with the number six guy in the order coming up. And so you're like, okay, maybe not that exciting. Some people wondered, well, can you pinch run for Matt Carpenter? You've got a Mundo Soso on the bench. Not a whole lot of speed, though, really, on that bench. Nobody that you that you trust to be able to steal that base. Harrison Bader, obviously on the injured list. Lane Thomas, decently athletic, is not uh, with the roster right now. He's, he's at the alternate site. And so, okay, no pinch runner. Two outs anyway. Let's see what Yachty can do. Well, what Yachty can do ultimately is hit the home run. Guy drills one to left field. Cardinals go up 2-0. A huge moment for Yadier Molina in what just continues to be something that exemplifies the way he is so darn clutch in the way he goes about it offensively. I don't think it is so darn difficult to quantify because the guy just seems to do it time and time again. Listen, there are plenty of cases where he grounds into double plays where, you know, the guy's coming up to bat and you're thinking, okay, this is a key RBI situation. And you say, I can see the double play coming from a mile away if he puts it on the ground. And he does. And the other team gets out of the inning and you're bummed out about it. But listen, Yadier Molina this season, he's just been clutch. And as far as you can remember, he's pretty much always been this way. 
Like, you're not ever going to succeed a thousand times out of a thousand. Nobody's going to be perfect. You know, Hall of Fame baseball players with a batting average of 310, 320. They still, you know, what's the adage that you're going to fail in this game two-thirds of the time? And if you do, you'll make the Hall of Fame. Yadier Molina seems to come through in the clutch more than his fair share. He had the sacrifice fly in the game last night where you thought for sure that could end up being a double play ground ball. Isn't the case. He ends up doing just what he needs to do to get it done. Tonight, though, it it goes above and beyond on Wednesday because he hits the home run. Cardinals take that 2-0 lead. And suddenly you're looking at things going, okay, this is another game where it feels like for two-thirds of the thing, you would have understood if the Cardinals would have had to chalk that one up as a loss. And I feel like you could have made that argument at points throughout each of the games against the Marlins this week. But now that you're up 2 nothing, and you say, well, Jack Flaherty just, you know, he, he pulled it out of thin air for us in the last two innings. Now it's a 2 nothing lead. Okay, I know that it's going to be a little bit tricky because we don't know who exactly is going to come out of the bullpen tonight. But this is an opportunity to win this thing. And then you get Hennessy Cabrera, his best outing that I think you've seen from him in a St. Louis Cardinals uniform in a long time. He had some good ones last year, don't get me wrong. This one was special, though, because they freaking needed it from him. Because there weren't any better options. Andrew Miller, it's been a few days since he's pitched. But from the right side, you, you, were, you were pretty stretched thin. And so it was going to have to be the lefty Cabrera, not only for one inning, because he goes efficiently in that seventh, but they said, heck, Again, we're our backs are against the wall here with regard to the bullpen, and and there's no respite coming. We've still got a game to play tomorrow, opening day, home opener for the, the St. Louis Cardinals at Bush on Thursday, and then you get a day off Friday. So they're still trying to make it to the end of this little stretch here, and they've had to use more of their bullpen weapons at a frequency higher than they would have hoped. Hennessy's Cabrera, it's up to you. Go get another inning, and he goes out and does it. Gives up just one hit, two strikeouts, two innings of work. Huge hold for Hennessy's Cabrera that helps the Cardinals ultimately conclude this game with a W. But let's talk about another example of some really great fundamental baseball by the top of this lineup. They did it last night. You recall the Cardinals in that sixth inning of the, the game on Tuesday end up with the bases loaded, nobody out. And the Marlins had had the same situation earlier in the game against John Gant. John Gant finds a way out of it. What do the Cardinals do, though, when they're on the offensive side of that ball and they have to figure it out in the sixth, they end up scoring three runs without getting another hit. I alluded to the Adier Molina impact on that inning just a little bit ago, but the other elements were base running. They got Tommy Edmond to score on the wild pitch. I think it was actually ruled a pass ball, and somehow it called a strike. I think that's the reason that it had to be ruled a pass ball instead of a wild pitch, because it hit the strike zone, according to the umpire. And I put a great photo, kind of a screen grab of that on Twitter, at B. Schaefer 12 yesterday, it wasn't a strike. It it was below the zone by six inches or better. But there's the image of the umpire sticking his finger out calling strike. Two players for the Marlins, the pitcher and the catcher, trying to run after the baseball. And then the guy at the plate saying, Tommy Edmond, come on home. Because it's a run for the Cardinals. So they get the run there. Goldsmith, if you remember, on the ground by, by uh, Paul DeYoung to the left side of the infield, Goldsmith waits until the third baseman fires to first. And he takes off down the third baseline toward home plate. Ends up getting in before the tag after the ball came in from first. So two great base running plays by just heady players at the top of this lineup. 
like Tommy Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, three of the smartest baseball players you're going to find. The Cardinals got him batting one, two, three. That's a benefit because they get those runs, and then Yachty yesterday drives in the third one with a sacrifice fly. Tonight, it was once again the top of the lineup, just making things happen with good fundamental baseball plays. Tommy Edmond, a two-out hit. Nothing, once again, eighth inning, nothing going on. Cardinals do have the 2-0 lead, but at that point, you get two quick outs, and you're like, okay, this is probably just you know a scenario where we're excited to get to our uh, our next time in the field. Let's see who's going to be pitching. I guess it'll be Cabrera once again. Can he get the job done? Like as a fan, that's almost where your your attention shifts. But instead, Tommy Edmond fights through like he like he often does and gets another base hit. Look, as a leadoff man, not a guy who locks who's going to take a whole lot of walks, I should say. But tonight he goes three for five, and then he scores the run. And that comes in the eighth because he steals second. Again, something that was really not very prominent within the Cardinals' uh, strategy last season, 2020 COVID year. But something that I think could be really effective if you pick your spots. And against a relief pitcher, I believe it was Adam Simber, and they talked about it on the broadcast, he was like 1.6 to the plate. And you're going to have to be a lot quicker than that to get almost anybody trying to steal a bag. But especially Tommy Edmond, who's going to get a good jump, who has good speed, and he's able to kind of take advantage of that situation, steal second base, and then you got Paul Goldschmidt up to bat. What's he going to do other than hit a single, drive in the run, boom, there's some insurance, like a good neighbor, Goldie is there, and the Cardinals are up 3 nothing at that point. You feel really good about your chances, especially though after Henesis finishes up that eighth inning with no runs allowed. So now you're going to the ninth, and you know you don't have Gallegos, you know you don't have Alex Reyes, Still kind of a question. Obviously, Hennessy's probably spent after two innings. Maybe you see Andrew Miller. Is that what the matchup would dictate? Yeah, you maybe would rather have a right-hander in there. What about Jordan Hicks? Guy's been a closer before. They're trying to bring him along slowly, but at some point, you got to put the guy in the fire. This might be the moment. And so that's who's warming up. Top of the ninth, Cardinals batting, and they're prepared for Jordan Hicks to come into that three-run game, potentially notch his first save of the 2021 season. His first save since, I don't know, at some point in 2019. I don't know when it was, but early in the season when he was performing as the Cardinals closer back then. Instead, though, what happens is we have another storyline, folks. Dylan Carlson, thank goodness he's not batting fifth. That's what I call him, Dylan Carlson. Because if he had been batting fifth, who knows where it would have been. But today, batting eighth, he comes up with the bases loaded and he does some Dylan Carlson things. Another home run, his first example in his career of home runs in consecutive games, and it was the first grand slam of his major league career. Now you're up 7 nothing. Now you don't have anything to worry about. Jordan Hicks does ultimately come in to pitch the ninth, but it ends up being a lot more stress-free than it would have otherwise been. He does give up a hit and a walk in that inning, had a strikeout, but his stuff is coming along just fine. He was at 101, 102. I believe he even hit 103, did Jordan Hicks with one of the fastballs or the sinkers, whatever it is he's throwing. And so he ends up getting to, to pitch a ninth inning in a lower-stress situation, but it's all because of Dylan Carlson and the work that he does in that in that ninth inning, hitting a grand slam to right center field. Uh, you know, he's hit, he's homered from the left side, homered from the right side, does it again tonight from the left side. I, I don't know what more you can say about this guy. Look, I know he's only got three hits on the season. Pretty good when those are all home runs. And it's kind of funny that I don't think that's going to be his game. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a boomer bust kind of player. 
I think ultimately he's going to make some better contact. Yeah, you're a little bit concerned about the fact that he continues to strike out, doesn't always make contact. But I do think ultimately for him, it's going to be the kind of profile where you're going to get your singles, you're going to get your doubles more so than anything. And then he's already shown he can run into one or two or three. His third home run of the season, I believe that leads the Cardinals at this point in time. Doing it from the eight hole yesterday, doing it from the eight hole today. I don't know exactly where Carlson's going to be when this season ends, but I don't think it's going to be batting number eight. There are some things the Cardinals have to work through. I'm going to be a little bit more patient as an outsider kind of watching this than I, I recognize some people are ready to you know, have the pitchforks out and they want to see Mike Schultz move him up. I get it. I think it's going to happen. Have a little bit of patience. Again, they're going to let Matt Carpenter kind of work through some things here. Fair or otherwise, they did give the guy the contract. They're trying to honor that a little bit and respect that by playing him and playing him in you know, a more prominent position in the lineup. I don't think there's any Cardinal fan out there who wouldn't love to see Matt Carpenter thrive and succeed in that role. But at the end of the day, I do think eventually you get Dylan Carlson, uh, who, who's going to have more of an impact offensively for the Cardinals than most other players on the team this season. Like like I said in a recent podcast, Goldschmidt, Arenado, I'd put those two guys above him. Otherwise, I think Carlson could be the third most impactful bat in this Cardinals lineup when it's all said and done at the end of 2021. And then when you talk about the next decade, he could be number one. I mean, this guy could be a guy you're, you we're talking about for a long time. When I do episode, you know, 1500 of B-Shape Daily in seven years or whatever it is, <laughs> I think Dylan Carlson could could still be a part of that. So it, it, a little bit of patience, I think, would be recommended. I understand the, the desire to want to see it right now. But let's just, I would say, kind of bask in the glow a little bit of Dylan Carlson being able to perform with the home runs, with the big clutch hits, let's see him do it a little bit more consistently. Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made that he could then do it more consistently if you put him in a more uh, prominent position in the lineup with maybe a little more protection. Again, I'm a guy that doesn't believe a whole lot that protection is necessary. Carlson batting in front of the pitcher showing as much over the last couple of days with a pair of home runs, one of which was a grand slam. But I do think that ultimately... Could he be a run producer? Yeah, that means you want him in the five spot, maybe the six spot. I've said if I were making the lineup tomorrow, he'd back cleanup. That's just for me because I think Goldschmidt is a great fit at number two, whereas Car- Carlson could fit number two. I prefer Goldschmidt there. So, hey, I'll put this guy Carlson at number four and say let it eat. Leading the Cardinals in home runs, I think that works out well enough for a cleanup guy. I don't know about you. But at the end of the day, the long story made short, Dylan Carlson's Grand Slam ends up making a game that was definitely closely and tightly contested into a little bit more of a blowout on the scoreboard for the Cardinals as they take this one 7-0 over the Miami Marlins. They come away with the sweep, and Jack Flaherty comes away with his first decision of the season. It's a win. He improves himself to 1-0. The ERA is still a little bit high compared to what you'd expect at 5.23, but again, you remember the first outing was a bit of a struggle for him. I think only a downward trajectory when it comes to that ERA for the rest of the season. You got Henesis Cabrera. You got Jordan Hicks. Those guys both throw up scoreless innings as the Cardinals able to complete the shutout. And now you head home to Bush Stadium where 32% capacity or whatever it is of Cardinals fans are going to be waiting for the Redbirds when they get there on Thursday. 
going to be really interesting to follow this team through the weekend. Colt Wong, of course, makes his return to St. Louis on Thursday, and then they get the off day on Friday. Cardinals and Brewers matching up once again on Saturday and Sunday. Expect that we're going to be able to bring it all to you. Information, discussion, commentary, opinion, all right here at B-Shape Daily. Would love to have you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already because this is it, baby. This is what we're doing all season long, breaking down St. Louis Cardinals baseball right here. So head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, if they still have that, wherever you're going to look for your podcast, with the exception of SoundCloud, pretty much everywhere else, you're going to find B-Shape Daily. To make it really simple for you, head on over to anchor.fm slash bshafer12. And from there, go to the More Platforms tab, and you can find all the locations where B-Shape Daily can be found. We'd love to have you subscribe, like, follow, whatever it is that you need to do on your respective platform to be able to get the show on a daily basis. It's been a lot of fun bringing it to you so far. I'm really excited about doing it some more. And, hey, right now you've got a 4-2 and two baseball team in St. Louis playing a division rival this weekend. I think, look, we all predicted for the Cardinals this season, at least most of us did, a pretty profitable, successful season, especially after the Arenado deal. That got a lot of people excited. Maybe that first series against the Reds had people a little bit apprehensive for a minute. I know that the, the, the culture that we're in, the nature of the game is to overreact immediately. Uh, but look, Cardinals brought things back against the Marlins, a lesser opponent, you could argue, as the Marlins have now dropped to 1-5 and five to start the season. I don't know how surprising that is, but I think the fact that the Cardinals were able to take care of what could generally be considered a lesser opponent, that should give some confidence to people. And so now let's see what the Cardinals do against a division rival and the Brewers who could potentially have a little bit of uh, something this season. Like, I think the Cardinals entered this season as the favorites in the Central, especially among Cardinals fans. But you could make an argument that the Brewers have a little bit of a recipe there. Starting pitching, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. They've got a really dangerous bullpen as well. Devin Williams, the St. Louisan, part of that mix. You know you still got to deal with Josh Hader. Colton Wong setting a new tone for that lineup up at the top. They've got some good players up and down that batting order. It's going to be an interesting battle, I think, between the Cardinals and Brewers this season. Excited to talk about it a little bit more as we go along this weekend. But for now, we're going to wrap things up here for this edition of B-Shape Daily. It's been Brendan Schaefer. Love to bring it to you. And until next time, you wonderful people, have a wonderful night or day. I don't know when you're listening. Just get out of here.